<clears throat> Welcome to Say Their Names. Um, this is the pod- podcast by Anna's Foundation. It's part of our Stories Initiative, uh, where we talk with parents and healthcare providers um, about what it's like to lose children in stillbirth um, and uh, what comes out of it. Um, this may not be the best quality of audio, but uh, it is sufficient. Um, and in the age of COVID, it is, uh, it's more than sufficient. Um, it wouldn't be right if we didn't have our first episode or first couple episodes, depending on how we edit it, um, to not kick off with Anna's mom. This is going to be um, a conversation with Mary Margaret Allen, excuse me, Dr. Mary Margaret Allen. Um, and the general pattern will be, uh, what was it like when we lost Anna? And then how did we grieve? Um, and then what was it like uh, to go forth after that, whether it was having children or not having children? Um, and, and in general, the idea is, is to raise awareness of, uh, and tell stories of parents. To, I don't think there's a stigma to losing um, children in, still, in, in childbirth and in stillbirth, um, but it's something that is very personal. And so removing um, the barrier that people feel isolated or alone um, for those who do want to talk about it or listen to it um, is a valuable aspect of what we do um, because people lose children like this every day uh, and we don't always know how to talk about it. So hopefully by saying their names, our daughter's name is Anna. Um, she's all, her name's all over this foundation. Um, we can, we can, not ignore what happened or, or ignore pain, but but shed light into it and um, and hopefully warmth and community. Um, so let's welcome our guest. Welcome, Mary Margaret. Hi. Um. <clears throat> so I guess first, just want to talk about or ask you, um, from you know from a mother's perspective, uh, losing a child um, in childbirth or, or prior to childbirth and having a stillbirth. Um, what was that process like for you? What was that experience like? Um, you know, some some people um, experience a fetal demise and are aware of it. Some aren't. What was your experience? Um. So I guess first off, um, I think one of my biggest fears in being pregnant and the acknowledged lack of control over, you know, being pregnant and the baby's health. Uh, my biggest fear was ultimately losing the pregnancy. Um, we kept everything pretty hush-hush for a pretty long period of time um, just to sort of feel confident that we were going to have a viable pregnancy. Um, and then... I think going forward, um, I'm a pathologist and unfortunately don't, I don't live in a world of all the happy things. Um, and so I think I knew the reality of the potential of, of losing a child, um, during pregnancy. And so that fear was very, very real. And I think in the process of, um, realizing that I had not felt her move, um, and sort of moving towards seeing the physician that was taking care of us, um, 
and realizing that we had lost her was just the realization of all of my fears um, leading up to that moment. Um, I think um, it was a little bit of a feeling of like, can't believe this is actually happening. Can't believe this is happening to us. Um, I can't believe all of my worst fears are being realized. Um, because while they are fears and they are very real and felt, I think there is a uh, suspension of belief. Otherwise, the fear would be paralyzing. Um, and the anxiety would be overcoming. Um, and so I think getting to the point of realizing the worst had happened um, was really kind of an out-of-body experience. Didn't seem real. Um, and again, kind of the things on repeat in my head I think as we you know realized that we had lost her and even in the aftermath and then grieving was I can't believe this is happening I can't believe this is happening um, so have I answered your question from no I could you talk a little longer please <laughs> thank you yeah no that was wonderful I think I'm probably probably remiss to say this is a story uh this is a podcast called say their names so um uh, who was your daughter? Anna. Um, when was she born? January 19th? 19th, yeah, 2016. It's weird that it's been, what, over four years. Do you remember how big she was? Three pounds, ten ounces, 17 inches long. Um, Do you remember how big her hands were? <laughs> she could palm a basketball. Yeah, I mean, I think the the visual I have is she was long and she was skinny and she, you know, was totally intact and um, looked as she should, with no, you know, external reasons for for anything to be wrong. Um, so, I remember thinking that she was larger and more developed than I expected her to be, maybe. Um, she was born at 32 and 5, 33 and 5? Yeah, 32, I think 32 and 3 is when we found out that we lost her, and then she was born a day later, so yeah. 32 and 4. So um, I remember um, we, we were, it was Martin Luther King Day in 2016, and so we both had off our work. I was a teacher at the time, Mary Margaret was a resident, and we were eating breakfast and um you had commented about not feeling her kick because she was particularly active you used to we have a big confession we watched a lot of the big bang theory both being academics i can understand why you think that that you could think that we would just spend our evenings you know perusing through you know great academic books and medicine and philosophy and all that but we watched a lot of big bang theory and mary margaret used to feel anna kick on her stomach and push back and and feel her feet and so you had mentioned that you didn't feel her and then um you did a kick count when we got back from breakfast and you know we had to go to the, go to the doctor to 
to see what was what was wrong. Um, and the short the, <clears throat> the short of it is, we we went. They did a heartbeat monitor on the on on Mary Margaret's abdomen. Um, they put two on two two monitors on her. There was no heartbeat, and they did an ultrasound. And there was no heartbeat, and so that was a confirmation. And the doctor, you know, confirmed it. Um, that's what happened. But I wanted to ask you. You said you were you're a pathologist, so it's not always the easy stuff. What do you mean? For those who don't understand exactly what pathologists do, and yeah, so I found it easiest to explain what I do, and that I'm similar to a radiologist, and then I do only diagnostic medicine, except for instead of imaging um, diagnoses, uh, I'm the one reviewing tissues. As part of my training um, early on in the beginning, we did a lot of autopsy service, and so part of that was fetal autopsies, um, specifically when there was a demise. Um, you, you, thank you. You, um, you said a lot about your fears being realized was the fear of child loss. Um, I don't think I was aware of it or I guess I was aware of it, but I don't think I lived with it. Was that something that you were concerned about in the, throughout the pregnancy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your cousin and his wife had lost a child a year earlier. Um, I think I had seen too many healthy, viable pregnancies um, that had ended in demise without a lot of explanation and answers. And so it wasn't like, oh, you didn't take care of yourself, therefore something happened to the baby. It was... You know, you did everything that you were supposed to do and something still happened to the baby. So there was very acute awareness of I don't have a lot of control in the situation. And I think um, in addition to all of that, I struggled with a lot of felt expectations of the level to which I was supposed to be performing as a resident physician. Um... And the maybe the felt expectation that somehow like the pregnancy wouldn't affect me in my daily job. Um, is that a common feeling among? Uh I guess I'm asking that you speak for all women, but <laughs> among the people that you talk with, women who, who have pregnancies, um, is it a common, common feeling, common fear, awareness? I think in general, women in professional fields feel like they're supposed to be able to do both um, as if the other side of them didn't exist. Do you feel a tension between the health of your child and your work? Is that a felt tension? Uh, I think it was more of just uh, I should be able to do my work and be pregnant at the same time and it not have an impact. What about in general the fear of you know, losing a child? Are, are mothers keenly aware of it? Um, you know, I don't really know. It's not something that I've asked people going forward. Um, 
I think a large majority know there's a potential of a miscarriage. Um, and I think people who have at least peripherally heard of or known someone who has lost a child later in pregnancy are aware. But I don't know if people have um, a degree of fear while they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, maybe it was driven out of encountering it in reality. I don't want to say routinely, but um, with some regularity early on in my training. Do you think... Do you think in... in I say in our culture, generally in the West, the United States, in media, there's not a lot of conversation or expression of child loss at that stage. Um, not that there should be, um, but I know it, it has happened. It does happen. It, it will continue to happen because that is that's part of our biology. But where does that awareness come from? Um, for people, for parents, for... Do you have to experience to be aware of it? Um, I think so. I mean, I think on some level when people choose to get pregnant and decide to have a child, they're not facing it with the immediate fear of what happens if the worst happens unless they've sort of peripherally experienced it through friends, family, or other people um i remember when our doctor did the ultrasound i was the the reality of this of this situation of of losing anna set upon me um, because i was in denial until then i'm very much a materialist i I need evidence Mm -hmm. and so until then i thought well well, I believed you and believed that you hadn't felt her. I was like, well, she's probably facing the wrong direction. Or, I, I mean, I don't know how any of that works. Um, but I remember I cried. This this primal, guttural, just cry. Um, and you said that you kept thinking, I can't believe this is happening. And I remember that thought, but I remember I don't. I also remember that going away very quickly and not having that ability of disbelief because I was so beset by by the reality of it. <laughs> to where our doctor was <laughs> actually said, can you not, can, can you give me a moment? I, I need to be able to confirm that there's no heartbeat because I was crying so loudly. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find, did you go into shock? What do you mean? Well, I, I I wasn't shocked initially. I didn't I didn't shut shut down. I didn't shudder. I just cried and cried. Um, I went into shock later. But at any point, did you kind of find a strange calm because it was so traumatic that you had to that you could you, you could rest in or? Um, maybe not until after the fact and going home and basically having to hang out until. I was so many hours post eating and drinking to be able to go in for induction. Uh. Um, yeah, so we we found out Anna had died, and then we were scheduled for later that night. I think they said come back at like seven. 
they told me to eat prior to the appointment um, with our doctor, and that was around noon or so. Um, and then we del- you delivered Anna early the next morning. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Early the next morning. Um, I think between the time of seeing our doctor that and confirmation that we lost her to when you delivered her, I was in total shock. I'm not certain I cried during that time. I'm not certain I... Um, I had lots of phone calls. Some I didn't take. Some I did. Family trying to organize how to come visit. I actually remember thinking, why would our family come visit? Why would they come take care of us? Um, because losing Anna was so ultimate and final, I remember thinking, well, what, what, what are they going to do? Now... I mean, eternally grateful that they, you know, everybody descended upon us um, and came and, 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 you know, were with us through, through it all. But um, that's the level of shock I was in. It was just a full level of disbelief and, and pain or lack of pain. My brother called me and said, what happened? You know, what happened? And I very calmly explained it to him. Um, what was your... What was what was it like for you between those time periods? Um, I remember coming home, and I remember um, our friends showing up with dinner and food, and then our pastor coming and sort of being with us, knowing that we didn't have immediate family um, in town, sort of in the uh, initial. I guess hours of processing things and um, I remember just hanging out on our living room floor Um, we had it was you know January it was really cold we had a kind of a continuous fire going at that point um I, I guess at some point I had to reach out to uh my chief resident and let her know what was going on because I wasn't going to be able to be at work and sort of the logistics of trying to make sure my work was covered. Not that I had to coordinate that personally, but make the appropriate people aware of, you know, what was going on again, sort of having to realize my worst fears to people around me. And, um, I think sort of the, it was a real kind of raw and exposed feeling every time I had to text somebody or let somebody know. Um, and I mean, everyone was extremely gracious. Um, I don't, I feel like I don't have a lot of specific memories other than just, like I said, the, the people who sort of came to our immediate um person to, you know, be with us, to make sure we were okay to provide food and whatnot. Um, I remember that fire. Um, (laughs) I remember our pastor coming and and seeing us, and I remember thinking, how did he get in? Because we had a gate on our apartment complex. (laughs) And I remember thinking, who called you? And who called you? And I just just joked with him that he, he was from Mississippi, so somehow he had some sort of 
you know, Mississippi wilds to leap, leap a fence or something. Um, I remember writing a week's worth of lesson plans in about 30 minutes. And I don't know how you did that. And emailing them off. Like it was just, I think at the time, maybe even now, I don't know if I have the energy now, but I prided myself in being able to handle um, adversity and create a plan and, and, and enact it and, 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 you know, something, if you've had to pass it off, um, to someone to, to enact, I could, I could, but I was, here's the vision, here's the plan, here's what we're going to do. And, um, at some point, like just taking a deep breath and saying, "All right, let's do it," and and writing it and copying my principal, my department head, my dean of academics, just being like, "Here's the work. This is what happened." You know. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know how I did it either. It was. I had taught it before, so I mean, I sure I had something to rely on, Paul. But I do remember doing that. Yeah. Um, I guess it's kind of, it's kind of memories. I question is after how did you deal with your grief my my grief I think lasted a lot deeper and longer than I expected because I wasn't I wasn't sure what was happening I felt I felt this very you know confirmation that we lost Hannah and delivering Hannah was very traumatic and I cried and cried and was very sad and maintained a level of sadness. But I also had a level of calm that I hadn't experienced before, um, which turns out I talked to some counselors and, you know, you get about two weeks worth of shock where you just don't feel everything. Your body's kind of protecting you. Um, but <clears throat> I, I found my grief manifested in, like, having to do things. I didn't like being calm or being sitting still or like doing things, building things. A lot of it was projects, you know, how to, how to remember Anna, you know, doing, putting pictures and shadow boxes together and, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. Just, I mean, just not staying still, um, and finding ways to direct that focus. I wrote a lot. I wrote, um, I mean, I wrote my own personal blogs, but I just wrote into other things. I wrote lesson plans for for months, just months of, of you know, working out what I wanted to teach and, and researching and writing and just pouring myself into things I could read and engage my mind with, um, I think, because I didn't want to let it be, be quiet. Um, I listened to a lot of sad music. <laughs> I listened to a lot of sad music. Um, I don't know. I, that was kind of my process. I don't think I watched a lot of like sad movies and sad stuff like that. I couldn't handle it. Yeah. I watched a lot of just banal TV. Mm-hmm. Um, spent a lot of time with family. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember kind of after she was born and then driving to Tallahassee with her to be able to bury her. And um, then we sort of just kept on going down to... West Central Florida to be with your family and um, I remember needing that time with them and again for me it was kind of had this constant out of body experience I 
I sort of like to fly under the radar and to sort of be known and exposed in such a way was difficult. And I think in encountering our family, there was a a reassurance and a sort of grace extended that my soul needed. Um, and then what you and I went to like a resort at Disney or something just to kind of get away and while at first I kind of thought this is like the silliest thing I think it was good for us to not necessarily be with family but not necessarily be in our apartment back in Nashville but to have some time to just kind of breathe um, I think of all the stuff that we did I cringe the most at that um, I remember it just being rainy and it seemed appropriate <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, wow, I don't even like telling people we did that. Um, <laughs> not because I just knew that there was a, it was a place that was going to be open. That right. It was a time of year that nobody was there. Right. And they had a, a, a resort and spa wherever yeah. we were and we could just. I don't remember a lot about it other than no, just thinking there was nothing for us to do, no place to be. And that was sort of what I needed. Um, and then in making our way back to Nashville, I think the process of like, what do we do now kind of set in? Like, where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. I think both you and I are people who feel like we need to be active and respond and productive and all these things. And I think at that point I felt like it had been kind of beat out of me to really have much of a response proactively to anything. Um, I remember, you know, delivering Anna and the OB who was taking care of us was not the one who had taken care of our pregnancy just based on the way their call coverage is, um, told me very adamantly that I needed to take six to eight weeks off and that was sort of probably best for my mental health and, you know, I think even early on at that point I knew... Like, there's no way we're waiting multiple years to try to have another child. I'm not, you know, and that thought comes into mind because um, I only have limited vacation to still be board eligible and I did not want to prolong my training and it wasn't even so much that I felt like I had an option but I was obligated to, you know, start a fellowship at a certain time and all of that sort. So I ended up taking, what, four weeks off, I think it was, and I feel like, so, for the first week and a half was having her and traveling and then coming back, and then my grandfather passed, and so we immediately went back to family, which, again, was, was good, um, and I think even just the normalization of death and loss at that point was, um familiar and easy to be around not that it was necessarily happy um but it was you know good to be back in Florida again pre relatively quickly rather than being in in Nashville because I think shortly thereafter you returned to work and then I was sort of home by myself yeah we uh we left Nashville to take Anna to Tallahassee to bear here and within hours after leaving. We, we knew this. We planned, we, we, we realized we had to leave. Um, they got hit by an ice storm. Oh, like, right. a, like a week-long ice storm. Right. And so in some ways I was 
it was a week long ice storm because I, all my friends at school were like, <laughs> we're not going to school. And so I didn't feel like I was missing work <clears throat> and losing days and losing, losing pay. Um, when we were counseled by our doctors to you know, take six to eight weeks off, we both looked at each other and said, how? Like, we can't, we can't afford to. Literally, like money-wise, you, you know, you have to get a paycheck. Um, and I found that offensive. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we returned and that was, I think, after bearing Anna, I found that right in that ceremony to be, um, I just found not cathartic. not the right word. I think catharsis is is the wrong thing. Catharsis, I just doesn't connote any sort of change or adaptation or growth. It just is like a, a release of something that, and you can go kind of back to being yourself. But it was very final, but very um, warm. Your family was there. Um, she was, you know, buried in a family plot, and um, it was private and personal. Um, and I think even in like, even in, in, in death, there's a, you can find some grace and some grace notes. There was a, a funeral just, you know, a couple, you know, a hundred yards away at the same time. And they were, you know, had music and there was bagpipes playing Amazing Grace. And, um, I just remember thinking, so thankful there wasn't anyone else at the site besides our family. But um, really thankful for those bagpipes. Mm-hmm. And uh, but when we came back to Nashville, I was I had to go back to work, and my my bosses and my I'm a teacher, and my bosses, my students, they were um, they were great. Um, I was still trying to process things, and I mean, it's a reality. It happened, so like it, like you have to talk about it and 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 be. Um, I tend to be, to, to deal with things, I tend to process them verbally and express them um, verbally. Um, and I felt the warmth of the, of, of the community I had known. Um, and my, you know, my students were, I taught like seventh or eighth graders, and they were just the most mature, understanding kids for, the, for what they could, could understand and, and get it. Um, but I was wrecked. And, and as the weeks went on, I continued to be wrecked. And Yes, my grief manifested not only wanting to do things, but also in being like, <laughs> I remember kids being upset that like they didn't have their homework and not getting a good grade because they didn't have their homework. And they'd be like, oh, sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> what to tell you? Like, you know, you'll get over it. Yeah. Um, and that not going over well with them <laughs> or their parents. Um, yeah. And then I, I quickly developed, I say quickly, I mean, it was a whole year, but at some point developed the stigma of, being like, oh, he's different. He's different now. Um, well, of course I was different. and uh, But I also had students who had deep trauma in their lives. And um, I found a connection with them and talking with them or just listening to them. They would just come talk to me about stuff um, before and after class or, you know, or while they're, all the kids are out playing outside or something. And and just saying, you know, telling me what, you know, what was hard in their life or what they experienced that was so difficult and, and, ha- and having a deeper connection. And I don't know, I think my grief, well, I had this just 
un- existential unrest. And I had some anger um, at the, not even the littlest things, but the big things. I became very upset about things that like systems when things were, weren't okay that I, <clears throat> that I was like, how's this not okay? Why don't we fix this? You know, like no longer did I get upset in traffic. I like started laughing about that kind of stuff um, and making jokes about the small things. Um, but I went from a, a place of shock and what I thought was going to be kind of a acceptance to a place of um, just kind of per- not perpetual sadness, but just a baseline sadness. Um, I had a literature buddy who taught literature and he said in all great stories, you know, you have to write pathos, which is kind of the, the brokenness or the humanity of, of your characters. Um, in addition to their, you know, their, their good qualities or positive qualities. So I feel like I, I developed that. Um, was there anything else you wanted to, oh, to I comment think, on that? Yeah, I mean, over the next couple of weeks prior to going back to work, I think, um, one, I hadn't had that much physical rest or a break from work. I guess since we moved prior to me starting training and even then like uh-huh. I hadn't had that much you time. are an overachiever undergraduate into medical school medical school into residency there's not a lot of breaks in there right um what year was this second year third year of was third, uh, residency that was the third year yeah. um you know we're planners we had strategically planned it um I don't know I found a while it was difficult and needed the alone time spent a lot of time walking and reading and periodically just having long text conversations or with people I didn't really have the capacity I think for a phone conversation I remember a couple people kind of actively pursuing me for like lunch and whatever and it was like this is literally like a once in a lifetime experience for me that I go to lunch in the middle of a week with a friend (laughs) and spend three hours at a diner table. Um, Did you leave a big tip? Because your your waitress was probably like, this is clearly a once in a lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) I literally don't remember. I think the friend took care of the tab. (laughs) Um, But I remember kind of having to acknowledge that I was going back to work and you know, I, in the long run, I knew that's what I wanted to do, but at the same time, sort of been facing the magnitude of losing a child, work kind of seemed meaningless, or at least I couldn't care about it in the same capacity that I did prior to losing Anna. Um, and I think I, I definitely didn't find my work meaningless. I just couldn't be the same workaholic-driven... Um, sort of overly committed at all expenses resident. And I think I was also faced with the fact that, you know, I had 20-something other residents that I was in the program with, and, you know, I was closer with some and not with others. And then I had all the attendings that I worked with, and I rotated through a bunch of different areas in the labs that I worked in, and... I knew that I was going to face people that knew I was pregnant but didn't know that I had lost Anna and I had a lot of fears of how was I going to encounter that and 
people that just didn't even know I was pregnant at all. And again, how do I sort of encounter those things? And I think, um, I had, I knew that I was fragile and emotional, um, and that I was struggling to sort of keep myself together. And I was constantly fearful that, you know, a conversation or a question was going to sort of unleash the floodgates. And then I was going to, to put the other person who I was encountering in some awkward position because that was sort of the worst case scenario, I think, where I didn't want to make, I didn't want to put my own um, sorrow and sadness on someone else and make them uncomfortable in what is seemingly a but very benign question or conversation, but I knew it was going to happen. Um, and I think I couldn't decide what was, you know, worse when I returned to work. The person that knew what had happened and didn't, you know, sort of head-on acknowledge it, especially the people that I would consider friends. Um, and I think it was their attempt to try to not upset me. They didn't want to bring it up and, you know, cause more sadness. I think I really needed them to bring it up to just acknowledge what was sort of under the surface for me and and that sort of took a load off and put me at ease. Um, but then there were the people that literally just, you know, we had scheduled rotations of four weeks with them and they were in another building and they knew we were residents but they don't necessarily keep tabs on all of us all the time and they didn't know that I was pregnant and so they didn't know that I had lost a child and in those scenarios those were just kind of weird it's like there's something so significant going on in my life and you have no clue and not that I need to like sit here and divulge all of it to you but I can't really think clearly or function normally like I would otherwise I remember working with a, a fellow um, like a guy who was doing a fellowship in our neuropathology department so all things brain, nerve, muscle and I remember he was such a good teacher and he cared so much about what he was doing and I literally did not have the capacity to learn I didn't have the capacity to care about what I was doing enough to actually learn um, and I remember thinking this is so atypical and uncharacteristic of me yet I don't have the ability to control it or overcome it or whatever and um I don't think I frustrated him but I'm sure that he could at least tell there was something that didn't make sense because um, I don't think I was behaving like the rest of the residents would working with him experience that um it might <clears throat> for myself I don't know if I mean not so you but after losing Anna, I, I remember I experienced just things that <laughs> I remember being in meetings and just staring and then thinking, what did I just hear? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and, and knowing it was important, wanting to care about it, but, and I, I, I I'm sure there are plenty of counselors out there and, and, and psychologists or psychiatrists who can explain the way this works, but just the way the sadness worked is I would just think about Anna. I'd just think about her. Like, I wouldn't relive the trauma. 
Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't work myself into tears. I would just kind of be there, but not present. Um, and that's a hard thing when you're in a workplace because mm-hmm. say your job requires you to walk around and you've got a broken leg. Well, everybody knows, oh, he's got a broken leg. You know, like, he can't walk around. What's the big deal? Like, let's figure it out. But when there's something inside of you, um, whether it's your brain or your soul or your heart, and that's broken, that's unseen. And, um, and people just can't get why you can't get with them. You can't get on their, their level of, mm-hmm. of emotion or mental or... <clears throat> I mean, I, and I'd argue that I was on an emotional level that, that many people weren't. Um, I had a depth of emotion I didn't know I had. And I'm an emotional guy. Um, I think that's when you and I started to struggle with the, we're not the same person. Right. We can't, we literally can't be the same person that we used to be. Um, and I don't think you or I ever felt like that was wrong or bad. And I don't think people had those thoughts or feelings, but they literally could not essentially grow and change in their relationship to us in the same capacity that we did personally. Um, And so I feel like a lot of our relationships, more so the ones that were peripheral, whether it was jobs or just colleagues, acquaintances that um, we knew but we weren't close with. There was, you know, a, a rough... Uh, rub sort of in the how are we supposed to relate now because again there wasn't a lot of room to be different um well especially when you're you're hired and i say hired it really kind of sucks because so much of it feels like you are um in a situation based on the abilities that you displayed for monetary gain much of it, a lot of what we're like, think of the warmth that we experienced from our families that, that that's unconditional. It doesn't matter if you change or, or not, but in a workplace setting, like if you're a different person than whom, whom they wanted, then, um, there's a feeling that, you know, oh, do they fit? Do they, do they do their job well? And that kind of thing. And I, <clears throat> whether it was expressed or not, and whether it was real or not, I felt that. And I felt a, I didn't have a lot of anxieties after Anna died because when something like that happens, you don't tend to worry about other stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worried about that. I remember thinking, hmm, they think I'm different. That's fine if they think I'm different. I don't really care. Um, I, don't know. I, I guess I, I did want to follow up on something. How, how should... Thank you for listening. <laughs>